All right, that's, uh, it's a little bit funny, but a little bit sad uh, in that we all probably have had the experience where somebody has twisted Scripture against us, or maybe we have twisted uh, Scripture against someone else. Uh, we do it to justify, to rationalize. Uh, sometimes we do it to, to comfort. We talked about that last week that we looked at the passage where Paul wrote that, that God is able to turn good uh, for anything or turn good from anything for those who, who love the God, who love God according, called according to his purpose. But we switch that and we say everything happens for a reason. And we say that in order to encourage people and to, to, to strengthen people in the midst of their struggles. Um, but we, there's a little nugget of truth there, but we don't really think about the theological implications of that. And so we're going to continue to do that as we go through this, uh, this series. Today we're going to look at the first at a passage in 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Uh, it is on the big screen, but it never hurts to bring your Bible to church, right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians in the New Testament chapter 10 verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, we take that passage and we can twist it. Uh, and we make a statement like, God won't give you more than you can handle. And we find encouragement from that. I was up this week at the hospital visiting with Terry Mager, uh, whose husband's in the hospital. And um, she was talking about last week, she was getting text during the sermon. Said, if a lot of people are on their phone, they were texting me about your sermon. And she said, what are you preaching on this week? And I told her what it was and, and a little bit. And she goes, oh, but I like that statement. And uh, I said, well, I mean, you can like it. And I'm glad that you find encouragement by it. But theologically, uh, when you break it down, uh, it really doesn't hold water. Uh, and so what is Paul talking about when this passage, when he says this? Well, we have to realize he's talking about temptations. Some translations will say testing, but if you go back and look at the original language, it's, it's temptations. He's talking about when we're being tempted. He's not talking about when we're experiencing difficult times in our life. So first we have to realize that Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, which is a large city in the Greco-Roman world. He uh, went there in 51 AD uh, and founded the church. He was there for about 18 months. Uh, and if you go over and look at the excavations of Corinth now, you can see temples everywhere. This was a community that was very invested in temple worship and idol worship. Uh, there were lots of feasts. There were lots of festivals. There were uh, lots of temple prostitutes. Corinth was really just a hub of immorality. Uh, and so these, these people were coming to know Christ, and they were struggling in their ability to follow Jesus, and they were reverting back to idol worship. And so Paul is reminding them of the story of the Israelites. If you go back and look in the Old Testament, the Israelites were trying to figure out how to follow God, and they got afraid, and so they began to go back to idol worship. And so if you look at that passage a few verses before, in verses 6 and 7, Paul says to the, to, to the church at Corinth, he says, Now these things, meaning the things about the Israelites, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Now, Paul recognized that some people in Corinth who were on fire for God, they were new for their faith, and they were like, they're going to take the position, well, that's just not going to happen to me. 
uh, I'm, I'm in too much in love with Jesus. I'm not going to fall to that temptation. And Paul's saying to them, okay, as soon as you say, I'm not going to fall to that temptation, you're probably going to fall. Uh, because you have moved away from your reliance on God. And so he says, there's no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. He's saying to the church in Corinth, look, you're struggling with the exact same thing that the Israelites struggled with. And I think that he would say to us, we're struggling, you're struggling with the exact same problem that the church in Corinth struggled with. You're struggling with the exact same thing that the Israelites struggled with. And so he comes in verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It's, this, is, this is a very important passage. It's a very important truth. And I believe this statement is true. I just think he's talking about temptations. He's saying that, that God in his providence, God in his provision will, will give you a way out to be able to endure. He will help us so that we don't have to give in to the temptation. Now, if y'all were here at the first of the year, y'all know I talked about my resolve. I don't make resolutions anymore at the beginning of the year because I never keep them. Uh, and so I resolved, rather than making a resolution, I resolved to be healthy. Uh, and so started the year really strong. Um, and for January and February and March, I did really good. I don't know what happened in April, uh, but, but April was not a good month for me. And so I, I, I basically, everything that I had done, I lost a good bit of weight in January, February, March, April, and May. I gained it all back, uh, probably a little bit more. Uh, but but I, I just, I completely fell apart. So the end of May, I turned to my wife and I said, June 1st, June 1st, I'm going to be healthy again. So June 1st came, I got up that morning before. Before anybody did, and I went and exercised. I don't even know if you knew that. Went and walked and walked on the trail and, and, and exercised for about 45 minutes to an hour. I came in. I felt good. I decided I wasn't going to drink any soft drinks. I'm only going to drink water. I'm not going to be obsessed about the food, but I'm going to eat healthy. And so, man, the first of June, I got through that night, and I was pumped up. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, and then the second of June came. And I did good. No, see, y'all thought I was going to fall, but I didn't. I was strong. And so I didn't drink water, and I ate healthy. The 3rd of June came. Man, and I did good. The 4th of June came. I'm on a roll. The 5th of June came. Monday, I, I had lunch scheduled to meet with somebody in the church, uh, and we had decided we were going to eat at Nella Mushroom because they have a really good Caesar salad. I can eat healthy. Uh, and so, don't judge me. But... <laughs> But I was going to eat healthy. So I, I was going to go to meet them at Mellow Mushroom. And we were leaving. I was leaving to meet them. And I got a phone call that they said that something had come up and they weren't able to meet me for lunch. So I'm like, okay, what do I do? I don't want to go eat at a sit-down restaurant by myself. So I got to figure something else. Uh, I had not brought lunch from home. I had a trustees meeting that night. And so I couldn't, I, I wasn't going to have dinner. So I knew I had to eat something. So I'm really struggling and wrestling with that. And I found myself at the Dairy Queen drive through window. And I got a chicken basket with honey mustard, a large Coke, and a blizzard to go. Uh, now, 
God didn't lead me to that. I could have resisted. I told y'all last week about the fact that I heard God tell me to go from Publix to Kroger. This time I just chose to ignore God. I knew that the drive through to Dairy Queen was not my healthy resolution. It's been my experience. God doesn't lead me into temptation. I do a really good job leading myself into temptation. And I suspect from your laughter, you do as well. That we have our own ability to be able to. This passage that Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians, absolutely true. God provides a way out. It's humorous to me. When I look at my life and I look at all the roadblocks that go in my way to help me and how creative I can be to get around that roadblock so that I can give in to that temptation. Amen? So I think this passage is true. I just think it's talking about temptation. I just think God is saying to us that he will help us in the midst of temptation. I don't know if, if any of you grew up, how, how many of you, by a show of hands, how many of you know the Lord's Prayer? It's okay if you don't, but just how many of you know it? Okay, so I want, I want to tell you something about the Lord's Prayer that's changed the way that I read or, or pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I don't even know if it's true. Uh, but, but the Lord's Prayer, there's a line in there that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? Okay, but James tells us that God doesn't tempt us. So why are we praying for God to not do something that God's not inclined to do. Don't lead us into temptation. James tells us God doesn't do that. I read a commentary one time. It talked all about punctuation. And y'all may think that's just, but there was no punctuation in the ancient text. So we add the punctuation. We put it in, lead us not into temptation, comma, but deliver us from evil. The commentary said, what if we move the comma? What if we do it this way? Lead us, comma, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us. I I lead myself to Dairy Queen. I lead myself into temptation. What if we began to pray, God, lead us. Lead us not in the way that I would lead myself, but deliver me from evil. Lead us. Lead our lives so that we are better able to follow you. And again, I just, to me, it was, a, it was a profound way of thinking about the Lord's Prayer. And even though today I read it with the same pause that we always do, in my head, I think, Lord, lead me. Lead my family. What this passage is saying to us in, in 1 Corinthians is that you don't have to give in to temptation. The whole saying of the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do it. The enemy can't make you do something. We choose to. Lord, lead us. But what it's not saying is that God won't give you more than you can handle. Because the inference there goes back to what we talked about last week. What that would mean would mean that all of the bad things that's happening in your life, God is giving you. He just won't crush you. He just won't give it so much that it would literally crush you. Is that really encouraging? If you know much about me, you know one of my passions is homelessness. Um, to work, to try to, to help those who are homeless. Um, 
And we can make judgments. You can say, well, you know what? People who are homeless make the decision to be homeless. Uh, You can say, well, they're there because they made poor decisions. You may not realize this, but the average age of a homeless person in the state of Georgia is nine years old. Nine years old is the average age of a homeless person in Georgia. There's no decision they made. There's no choice they made that can justify them living under a bridge or in a tent or in a car. I think this week, our youth group were on a mission team. And we saw news about the accident from Mount Zion. For those of us who were parents of the kids who were on the trip, I'm sure that that news story hit a little bit too close to home. And I think about that mother and that father who sent their 17-year-old daughter off to serve God, only to have her die in a traffic accident. I think about people who are really hungry. I mean, I've told you all this, I've never been hungry in my life. I haven't necessarily liked what's in my pantry, uh, but to be really hungry. But there, there are kids that, that live in walking distance of this church who don't have food in their pantry. And I think about that family that lost their child, that homeless child living under the bridge, that kid who's hungry. Let me ask you a question. Would it be encouraging to go to them and say, God won't give you more than you can handle? Or would it be encouraging to say, what can I do to help you? What can our church do? What can we do to, to help you with this? You see, the dominant, the dominant message of Scripture is that life is hard and you can't handle it by yourself, which is why you need God, which is why you need the church. It's why God created the church. God did not create the church so that we can come together in air-conditioned buildings and sit and feel good about ourselves. God created the church so that we can go out and help those who can't handle it by themselves, who need God, because that's all of us. That's why God created the church. God created the church so that we can come alongside someone like Dwayne who was going through a medical situation and we can help lift him up. God created the church so that we can come alongside people who are going through cancer, who are shut in and locked in. And we can say, how can we help you? What can we do to support you? That's what's part of the human experience. See, what we believe is that God will sustain us and carry us. I might suggest to you, rather than saying God won't give you more than you can handle, we might begin to twist it back. And we say, God will help you handle all that you've been given. That, I believe, is absolutely true. God will help you handle all that you've been given. Let me tell you a passage that you might want to write down is Psalm 46. Psalm 46, we read these words. 
In verses 1 and 2, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. See, I don't want to say that God won't give you more than you can handle because the implication there is that, that God gave you this problem in the first place. But, but here is the truth. You can't handle it by yourself. You weren't created to handle it by yourself. We're created, as Dwayne talked about in his prayer, we're created to trust in God. We're created to, to trust that God is present. We're created to, to trust that, that even when we can't feel God, that God is with us because he promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. We're, we're created to, to understand that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God has not abandoned us. We're created to look and recognize that light really does overcome darkness. That joy really does overshadow pain. We're created to understand that and believe that to be true. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This sustained him while he was in prison waiting to be executed. And I, my argument would be to you is this should sustain us today. This is what should carry us through. I heard a lot of people last week about our message. Several people called the church. Several people wrote emails. One lady told me, sent me an email and said, I want you to know I absolutely affirm what you preached on. Because I absolutely reject the idea that God gave me an abusive husband. And I absolutely reject the idea that God caused my child to die. And I absolutely reject the idea that God gave my best friend cancer. And then she went on to say, here's what I do know. God helped me cope. God gave me space to scream and kick in the night and know that he was still there. And when I pray, what I thank God for is I thank God led me, thank God for leading me to an attorney who helped me get out of that abusive relationship. And I thank God for allowing me to be able to talk about the death of my child in a way that helps other people. And I thank God that my friend is still here. See, what this person in our congregation came to know is the same as what we know from the story of Annie Johnson Flint, probably a name that none of you have ever heard of before. Annie Johnson was born in 1866, and at the age of three years old, her mother died, and she became under the care of her dad. Her dad got sick and became debilitated, and he was not able to care for Annie anymore, and so he had to give her up for adoption. He had got, gave her up for adoption to the Flint family. And they were great parents. But before Annie graduated high school, both her adoptive mother and her adoptive father died. She had hoped to be a teacher. She went to school to be a teacher. But while she was in school, she got diagnosed with a degenerative bone disease. She was put into a wheelchair and she was never able to walk again. 
In fact, Annie lost the ability to speak. She was never able to teach. But she could write. And so Annie wrote a poem. I want to read to you this poem. It is called, What God Hath Promised. It says, God hath not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. God hath not promised we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He hath not told us we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. God hath not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel, needing needing no guide. Never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turbid and deep. But listen to this. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials and help from above, unfailing sympathy and undying love. When you're facing temptations, go to 1 Corinthians. Read it, know it. Live it. God, in his provision, will provide you a way. But when you're going through a difficult time, don't go to 1 Corinthians. Go to Psalm 46. Go to Psalm 46 and listen again. Where does our help come from? Look at what it says in the Common English Bible. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a help always near in times of trouble. That's why we won't be afraid when the world falls apart. What an incredible passage of faith and hope and truth. God won't give you, or God will help you handle everything that you have been given. That is a promise from our eternal Lord and Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who is constantly providing for us. And I pray, Lord, that each and every person here, as we struggle with temptation, I pray, God, that we can really claim that passage in 1 Corinthians. I pray that we can truly pray for you to lead us. Lead, Lead us, lead our families, lead our church, lead our community. But God, as we find ourselves, and I know there are many in the room who find themselves in this situation, of stress and worry and overwhelming darkness. I pray, God, that we can remind ourselves that you are a God who is ever-present, that you are a God who is constantly working, that you are a God who is carrying and sustaining and lifting us up. And I pray, God, that we can simply pray for strength for the day, rest from the labor, and light for the way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.